Good morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, this summer and into the fall, we're going to continue to do this, but we've been frolicking through Luke's gospel. Has it felt like that to you? It's felt like that to me, like a frolic through Luke's gospel. Uh, but we're going to continue to do that um, all the way to Advent this year, journeying with Jesus to Jerusalem uh, as He proclaims and enacts good news for the poor, liberation for the poor. And many of our recent passages, last week included, feel like a revisiting of our Lenten series on mammon, don't they? If you guys were around during our Lenten series, it uh, feels like we're revisiting some of these texts because we are. Um, and so uh, Jesus talks about wealth and money all the time in Luke's gospel, just constantly. And uh, today's passage is no different, this parable of an unnamed rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. It's an uncomfortable parable for many of us to hear, isn't it? Um, Because even though none of us can probably directly relate to the extreme wealth of the rich man or the extreme poverty of the poor man, most of us think about ourselves more in the realm of the person with clothing and a house. And so, he doesn't end up in a great place. And so, what are we to make of this parable? What does this mean for us? Um, So, I want to proclaim some good news about that today. Here it is. Beloved, in a world languishing under the spell of mammon, mindlessly stockpiling wealth, competing for status, Jesus is revealing and making possible the life of the age to come, a life of mutuality, a life of solidarity, where we're all empowered to share with each other and to take care of each other so that the lowly are raised up, the outsiders are embraced, the oppressed are liberated, and the marginalized are transfigured into icons of Christ. Beloved, let us break mammon's spell over our lives so that we may take hold of the life that is really life. This parable is spoken in response to the Pharisees, and earlier we didn't read this part, but Luke gives us a little glimpse into uh, the Pharisees and says that they were lovers of money. And so the teaching that Matt preached about last week is something that they were sneering at, the text says. They were ridiculing Jesus for His teaching that one cannot serve both God and mammon. They were saying, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And so this this parable is said in response to that ridicule. Uh, I should say, remember that this is just a parable. Many of you maybe have been brought up in churches where this was used to teach what heaven and hell are like and what the afterlife is going to be like and some of the technicalities about who you can see and not go to and, you know, like... That is not what this parable is about. It's not meant to teach us anything at all about the afterlife. It's meant to teach us about wealth and caring for the poor. That's what it's meant to teach us about. So don't get caught up. It's natural to speculate. I wonder, you know, it's natural, but don't get caught up in that. That's not what Jesus is saying to us today. The parable has two main characters who could not be more different. There's a rich man depicted as having obscenely excessive wealth while Lazarus is one of society's expendables, hardly noticed because he's hardly worth noticing. The rich man is dressed in luxuriant clothing, presumably blessed by God, and the only covering that is mentioned for Lazarus are his sores. 
which, are meant, which meant he was unclean. And likely, in the mind of those hearing, suffering from divine punishment of some sort. The rich man feasted sumptuously every day while Lazarus has nothing and is longing to satisfy his hunger with just scraps that might fall from the rich man's table, but he's got to compete with dogs for those scraps. Dogs weren't cute little pets at that time. They were dangerous mongrels. The rich man has a gate which signifies a large estate, and Lazarus has no home and has been, the verb there is passive, he's been thrown down at the rich man's gate. The two people never interact in this parable, not once. Lazarus is essentially invisible to the rich man, which is what wealth always does. Narrows our vision, it insulates us from having to see the impoverished around us. But something happens, they both die. And this great reversal happens. This parable is interesting because it's an illustration of this great reversal of the kingdom that is talked about earlier in Luke. Uh, Mary's Magnificat and Jesus' Sermon on the Plain both talk about this coming eschatological reversal. Mary proclaims, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich, He sent them away empty. Jesus proclaims, Blessed are you who are poor and are hungry now, for you will be filled. And woe to you who are rich and who are full now, for you will be hungry. This is Jesus saying, this is it. This is the eschatological reversal. This is the kingdom that God is bringing. And so the one covered in sores competing with dogs for trash to eat is transported by angels to Abraham's side. To Abraham's presence, this position of intimacy and honor in the heavenly banquet. And he's provided care and comfort previously unknown to him. But the one who was dressed luxuriously and feasted sumptuously is being tormented by flames in Hades, in the underworld, and there is a great chasm between them. Amazingly, the rich man seems not to have learned anything. He seems not to have been humbled by this reversal. Seeing Abraham and Lazarus sitting near each other, he addresses Abraham. and asks that he send Lazarus to cool his tongue. So notice that he assumes kinship with his honored ancestor, Abraham, but still treats Lazarus as a nobody that he can boss around, demanding an act of mercy from someone to whom he never showed mercy. His request is denied, and the rich man, rather than repent, goes into negotiation mode for his family, using his presumed status to try to broker a special deal for them. Can you just go warn them? Just warn my family. I got five brothers. His inner circle are the people that he's concerned about. We see how wealth does this uh, in the news recently. There seems like there's a news story every, every day about this, but I was thinking about Brett Favre sort of reappropriating money meant for welfare to build a new sports uh, facility for the school where his daughter played volleyball. This is just typical, right? It's typical. The rich man's doing the same thing. He's just saying, hey, go send. It's, it looks like it might be a, a bit of repentance, but it's not. It's just for his brothers. You know, go, go tell my family that they can avoid this place if they repent. But of course, I mean, it's, it's remarkable. The rich man is still living under mammon's spell, even in hell. Isn't that amazing? He 
still thinks that's how the world works. But Abraham denies this request as well, saying that his family has Moses and the prophets. Scriptures are clear about our responsibility to care for the poor, and if they won't repent because of the Scriptures, they're not going to repent if somebody visits them from the dead. The rich man's family is trapped under the spell of mammon, assuming that the good life consists in stockpiling wealth if you can get it, competing for status if you can do it, not realizing that they're investing in a system that's going to plunge them into ruin and destruction. In this parable, then, Jesus is attempting to break the spell of mammon for His hearers and for us, revealing the whole system to be a lie that's going to end in disaster. The whole thing is a lie. It's ending in disaster, and He's calling us and calling them into the life of the age to come, a life that flies in the face of mammon's logic. It's a life of mutuality. It's a life of solidarity where we're all empowered to share with one another the good things that God has provided, where we take care of each other so that the lowly are raised up and the outsiders are embraced and the oppressed are liberated and the poor are transfigured into icons of Christ. So, beloved, let us break the spell of mammon over our lives and take hold of the life that truly is life. This is what is real, beloved. God's sure-to-come kingdom is going to turn the world upside down, but we get to practice ahead of time because this kingdom is also here and now. The anti-mammon logic of this parable isn't something completely new invented by Jesus. This is, this is the Scriptures. It runs straight through the Scriptures. In our Old Testament reading, Amos prophesies, woe to those who luxuriate in their wealth but are not grieved by injustice. The New Testament reading, Paul instructs Timothy to be content with food and clothing and to warn his parishioners about the ruinous path of wanting to be rich. The common sense of mammon is to leverage your power and your privilege for the enhancement of your own status and for those that are part of your inner circle because the good things in life are a zero-sum game and you better take what you can before somebody else does. That's the logic of mammon. But the common sense of God's kingdom is different. It's to share whatever we have with whoever is in need because we recognize we brought nothing into this world. We're taking nothing out of it. I read somebody who was commenting on the queen's funeral uh, the other day and, you know, the opulence and the, the decoration uh, of the casket and all of that kind of thing. But eventually, all of that stuff was stripped away and she was laid into the ground in a plain box, just like everybody. At the end of the day, she's an old woman who died. That's about it. That's it for all of us. And that's great news, actually, because it means that everything is a gift from God. We didn't bring anything into this life. We take nothing out of this life. This is all gift. That's the common sense of the kingdom. Life is sheer gift from a God who never stops giving, who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. <laughs> God wants us to enjoy life, and He richly provides everything for our enjoyment. And so we share. Of course we share. This is the common sense of the kingdom. This is how we lay up for ourselves treasure in heaven. St. Basil encapsulated the common sense of the kingdom when he said, if you want storehouses, you have them in the stomachs of the poor. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So Jesus is not here presenting a new philosophy about money. He's not presenting a new idea about wealth. He's proclaiming the new reality of the kingdom of God. 
It's different. It's not, here's an interesting idea you might try on. It's, here's reality, and you'd better get used to it because it's coming. It's happening. It's real. Rearrange your life to invest in this reality. It's an event. It's a happening. It's, an, it's, it's occurring now through my life, Jesus says, and it will inevitably grow to fill the whole world. So rearrange your life in light of it. This is the new reality, and it's assured to us in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and we seek to participate in it now by faith while we wait in hope for its final consummation. So if this parable makes you uncomfortable, let it make you uncomfortable. That's okay. That's maybe part of how we respond is just paying attention to that discomfort and saying, what's this about? We talked in our class this morning about how One way of thinking about this parable is that if you don't give enough of your stuff away, God's going to punish you, and how that might be not a fruitful way of thinking about this parable. But maybe a fruitful way of thinking about this parable is that if we can break the thrall of mammon over our lives, maybe we could live in God's kingdom today, learning what it means to receive everything as a gift, share with one another, take care of each other. To trust that God is at, so trust that God is at work in your discomfort, not to condemn you, but to call you out from under mammon's spell into the joyous reality of God's kingdom of mutuality. And let us resist the ways that mammon teaches us to think about the poor, that their poverty is an individual choice, a personal failing that deserves punishment. And let us rather see them as icons of Christ, placing our bodies with them so that our flourishing is bound up with theirs, because it is. And let us seek out greater solidarity with those who are marginalized in our midst, not hiding behind the privilege afforded to us by our gender, or racialized identity, or our sexuality, or wealth, or social status. Let us resist the ways that mammon teaches us to live independently from each other, so that we never have to rely on each other. And let us rather seek more mutual dependence with each other so that sharing becomes a matter of course. Let us get involved with, for example, efforts to build affordable housing in our neighborhoods, to take care of people who need a place to live. Let's resist the worst effects of gentrification in our city. It's going to take time and prayer and imagination and a willingness to make mistakes and to look foolish to people who are invested in the status quo. We have all kinds of systemic knots to untangle. It's going to require sustained attention and a long repentance. But in a world languishing under the spell of mammon, mindlessly stockpiling wealth and competing for status, Jesus, friends, is revealing and making possible the life of the age to come, a life of mutuality and solidarity where we're all empowered to share with each other and take care of each other so that the lowly are raised up and the outsiders are embraced and the oppressed are liberated and the marginalized are transfigured into icons of Christ. As Paul wrote to Timothy, let us do good and be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future that is sure to come. Let us continue to work toward breaking mammon's spell so that we may take hold of the life that really is life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.